We've had a couple of questions, and one of the questions we had was this question I've written on the board. Did King Saul think that David could win against Goliath? What I want to do now is just discuss among ourselves why you think yes or why you would think no. What, was, what other things were going on with King Saul? The, the words were, go and may the Lord be with you. I think because we get so focused on Goliath, we're forgetting what the whole battle was about. Who were the aggressors here? Whose land, who was trying to defend their land, and who was trying to move into whose land? Were the Philistines the aggressors? The Philistines are here, and they are actually trying to move into Israel territory to move into Judah, right? They're moving into Judah. David lives in Bethlehem. And he's come out to visit his brothers and the army of Israel, which are across the valley of Elah. They're both standing on hills. In the center of the valley is a ravine. And if you go to Israel, you, you can see it. It's still there. There's, it is a dry riverbed, and you can see where David picked up those stones. The Philistines were trying to move in to Israel and take over more territory. So Goliath shows up, and he's actually quite a diversion, a very large diversion. All the attention goes to Goliath, and people are forgetting what they're actually fighting about. They're actually protecting Israel from invasion of their enemies. Saul has a couple of things going on. We mentioned that Saul also probably feels a little bit guilty because he is the tallest of the Israelites. He probably feels like he should be fighting. Forty days have gone by, and Saul is actually running out of options. After 40 days, it said that the giant was coming down, and Goliath, it says, was coming down to them, and then by the end, it says he's coming up. So he's actually, after 40 days, Goliath is coming up toward the line of the Israeli soldiers. My take is this. If, Saul, if David loses, I don't believe that Saul was waging the whole battle on David. If a youth runs out in the battlefield and gets killed, it's called plausible deniability. Oh, those crazy kids. There should be a law against that. I had no idea. It sounds so crazy, so out there, that it's, it's deniable by King Saul. That's my take on this. But there's another factor that I think weighs heavily into what's happening and it has to do with, with David's personality and how he's presenting this. One of the reasons I think that David, that Saul probably was not sure what was going to happen here, and he wasn't waging the whole war on David, does David actually collect any of the bounty that Saul was supposed to give the person who kills the giant. He doesn't, actually. 
there's no record of him. Saul gives his oldest daughter. He said he was going to give her to David, but things change pretty quickly after this. So he doesn't get, David doesn't actually collect any of the things. I believe Saul probably said, well, lucky shot or whatever. It, it wasn't, he wasn't seeing him as the warrior that he was sending into battle to represent Israel. I believe Saul was thinking, can't hurt. And if it doesn't work, a giant kills a kid. What am I going to do? Too bad. It, it, it wasn't really something weighing heavily on him. And he thought, I can deny this. If we've been here for 40 days, who knows? You know, he, he might win. I want to ask you now to think about something, to put this into a personal episode for you. Let's imagine that you are the psychiatrist to the Israeli army. And King Saul has this kid come to him who says he wants to go to battle. And he, you have your tent set up there. And you've been seeing a lot of panic attacks, fear. You've been seeing a lot of things uh, in the last 40 days. People are having nightmares. You're, you're doing a lot of counseling. But he sends you this young man. And he says, the kid wants to go to battle. Should I send him? David is now sitting in your office or your tent. What are you going to ask him? I want to take a minute now and I want you to think for yourself, how are you going to decide whether this youth should go into battle? And what are you going to tell the king, who is your employer, what reasons are you going to give, yes or no? I think he should go. I don't think this is a good idea, king. One minute of silence. Let's think about that. There's a lot of weight riding on this question, and this is the kind of question that we're going to need to be asking ourselves as we come to difficult decisions in our own lives. What questions? What questions would you ask? David comes to you. He obviously has a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of confidence. What any any specific questions you believe would help you? Yes, sir. Good question. Why do you think you're qualified to represent the nation of Israel and do battle with this giant? Great question. David would say, look, I think I can beat him. I've got a sling. I've got a stone. In fact, what he says, I've killed a lion and a bear. He uses that as evidence that he is good at what he does. I presented to you a, a theory of that he waited till this lion got up to him and hit it with the stone. Another possibility, and I'm always open to new possibilities, is that that lion was coming at him and from a distance he hit it with a rock. Now that's a different level of skill. That's a head that's moving, that there's a lot of, that would be, I think, you know, one level beyond what I'm theorizing how he was able to kill a lion and a bear. But if that's what Saul was hearing, that you actually, with your sling and stone, were able to strike a lion and a bear at a distance coming at you, that is a very high level of skill. 
We know that the Benjamites from the last chapter, Judges 19, 700 men from Benjamin were able to sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That's what the scripture says. Marksmen with these stones. Essentially, the stone is just like an extension of your hand. It just is a very, very long lever arm. The stones were large. It's, It's very possible with the help of God that he was able to hit a lion and a bear moving. It would also take a very high level of practice. But what we discussed earlier when we talked about David playing his lyre was that to play a stringed instrument made with sheep gut, dried, it took a high level of skill and a high level of practice. As a shepherd, David would have been out in the field with a lot of time on his hands. He did write psalms. He did play music. But I believe he also practiced with his sling and his stone. So as you're listening to him in your office, you're also thinking, why would this boy, why is he practicing with his sling and his stone? Does he want to be the best shepherd in Israel? Does he want to win the local Bethlehem sheepdog competition? Why do young boys practice with weapons? What are they dreaming about? Being a great warrior. His three brothers are in the army. What do you think he's practicing for? He is dreaming about the chance like I would when I get a basketball shooting it at the buzzer and the crowd goes wild. I don't think I'm the only one that said things like that. And they're on their feet. Everyone goes crazy. He made a shot at the buzzer. This is the kind of thing young boys do. He was training, dreaming of being in a fight like this. Essentially, you want to ask him a spiritual question. Say, David, what is your spiritual journey? What is your spiritual journey? Very important question. If someone, even if you would say someone was going to come to work for you, this is something you might want to know. It's a harmless question. Everyone has one. What is your spiritual journey? David would probably say, you know, I like to play songs out in the wilderness. I like to sing songs to the God of Israel. See, that's, that's nice. And then this strange thing happened. This prophet Samuel showed up a couple of years ago with a horn of oil. He, he chose me out of all my brothers, poured it on my head, and then he took off. Didn't say a thing. Hmm, now you're thinking. And after that, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. And he has all of this confidence. It seems that something inside of David is driving him forward. Saul tries to dress David in his armor. It's made for a man much larger. But David is also not, this is not how he's going to fight the battle. We started talking about why do the Philistines, why is Israel accepting this battle on the terms of the Philistines? David now is going to play with his own rules. No armor. He's going to come up to the Philistine and basically surprise him. This is not what he's expecting. He's expecting a man 
in armor to come for his close hand-to-hand -hand combat. David has no intention of hand-to-hand -hand combat. He doesn't have armor. He has a whole nother strategy. But the answer to the question is, is the spiritual aspect. And that's what we have to be concerned about in every aspect of our lives. So the training, he's dreaming about this. But let's talk about, we heard someone mention here, authority. The authority that, with a confidence with which David speaks. Nobody else in the last 40 days was speaking to King Saul with any authority. And let's see what David says. 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. And first of all, we have to contrast with, um, with what the servants of Saul were saying. Basically, they were saying, you know, have you seen this man who's come up? Certainly he's come to defy Israel. Have you seen this man who's coming up? Everyone in the army is focused on the giant with their visual eyes. They're not hearing from God. They're not understanding the spiritual nature of this. And David is going to come with a very powerful spiritual position. And I want to show you that David actually knows something about the scriptures. The scriptures were available at that time. The book of Deuteronomy had been written. And I had mentioned to you that the king was supposed to be not only reading the book, but writing the scriptures every day. He was supposed to be in the word every day. It doesn't appear that that's what King Saul was doing. But David shows up, and let's, let me, let's see what he says. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, he says to King Saul, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail. Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of this giant. That, something very similar was said in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. When you go out to war against your enemies, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel just before they come into the promised land. I'm reading from the ESV. When you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. David's saying, let no man's heart fail. And then he says, he continues, and now he's going to say, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. 
and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. He's essentially taking out of Deuteronomy chapter 20, Let no man's heart fade, and God is with you, and he will deliver you. David is quoting scripture, and that scripture is going to put him in a position, because he's also well-trained, but he recognizes that this is a spiritual attack. These are Philistines trying to come in and take the army, take the land of Israel. God is clearly going to defend him here. There's something interesting about authority. And when I hear this David speaking with authority, it reminds me of someone else who spoke with authority and amazed people. Who is that? Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. No one else is speaking like this youth who knows the scriptures. Also something interesting I, I saw last night in this Deuteronomy passage, who was supposed to speak these words to the, to the people, to the army? The priest, David, from the tribe of Judah, is acting like a priest, speaking the words the priest is supposed to speak. Jesus, the son of David, as we learn from the book of Hebrews, becomes a priest and actually offers himself as a sacrifice. So there's, there are some parallels here that David actually, by speaking these words, is acting like a priest. He and priests connect people to God, connect God to the people. In the book of Peter, we discover who are the priests today. We are a kingdom of priests in the book of Revelation as well. It's more than more than once. This is a common theme. Now, in the book of Exodus, the intention of God for his people is that they would always be a kingdom of priests. There would not just be a priestly tribe. Everyone was supposed to be a priest, a kingdom of priests. And now, since Jesus has been raised from the dead, he has gotten this dream of his to come true, that we are to be a kingdom of priests. That's what we are. Even if we're not acting like it, as we learned through some of our earlier lessons, not all of the priests were acting in a righteous manner. They were still priests. And I love questions that we can think about. Was this God's intention that David deliver the people of Israel at this time? Because of the negative 
a very quick negative turn of events, how much jealousy this engenders in Saul. Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. That what we, what we discover, 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have described thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The fruit of David's victory, while we're so used to this story, David and Goliath, I always like to ask the question, what was the fruit of that? Was that God's first choice? Because it made such a mess. Now, David is going to end up running for a decade or more in the wilderness. God is going to use it. But was it God's first choice? Is it possible that King Saul or one of David's brothers or anyone from the army? Right? Where are the, all these? What about the general, Abner? What, where, where are all the fighters in the army? We're not hearing about any of them. He was the only one with a sling and a stone. The artillery in those days were archers and slingers. It was part of the army. He was not the only one with a sling and a stone. It was actually, this was part of the army. There were a lot of people probably with slings and stones. He was the only one that wasn't swept away with the fear of everyone else. Probably because he was back home keeping the sheep, singing songs to God. And when he came, what he saw, he didn't have time to have emotional contagion. The psychological term which says fear just spreads. This giant was actually not an isolated, an isolated case. Someone came up with a question last week about the book that Malcolm Gladwell wrote in 2013 called David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell, a very good writer, a Jewish man. And he presents a case where Goliath, he said, probably has some type of a, a, a pituitary tumor, which causes acromegaly, causes people to grow to a giant size. That tumor would have been pressing on one of his optic nerves. Basically, he said he's sort of a slow lumbering giant. I have a bit of a problem with that for a number of reasons. He, he, I'll, I'll make the points that he makes. He said that because he has a shield bearer, the only people that needed shield bearers in those days were the archers. The, the infantry people didn't need a shield bearer. So the fact that he has one, he's saying, well, he by the end of his 
essay, he's calling him sort of the attendant that was leading the giant around. I believe Saul had a, a, Goliath had a reason to have a shield bearer. He's going out, standing in the middle of an army, and there, there are archers on the, on the ridge, and there are slingers on the ridge. There's a reason he has a shield bearer. He says that when Goliath says, come to me, I will feed your flesh to the birds. Basically, he's saying, I can't move, so you're going to have to come to me. Basically, he takes the words of Scripture and is, is sort of making this into a, a goofy buffoon. The problem is, and that's why we always have to look at what is the best fit. Would the Philistines put a goofy buffoon out to represent them? I think probably not. That would not be a wise thing. That they, Everyone knows that this giant can't fight, and they're sending out their best man, but he's really, it's a stooge. Also, when he says, are you a dog coming to me with sticks? His point is, David only had one stick, so he must have been seeing double. Well, if he would have been seeing two sticks, he also would have been seeing two Davids. It's not just a matter of that. And he saw this stick at quite a distance. What David was hiding was his sling and his stone because he needed to get within range that David felt that he could hit him. The case that he makes that the giant was moving slowly, I think it's probably a reasonable one. Anyone with 125 pounds of armor on him would be moving slowly. I happen to believe that the giant forgot to put his helmet back on because it was hot, and because David, that was one of his plans. He saw if he could start running, the giant would start moving, and he would forget. It had been 40 days. It was hot outside. The giant just wants to get this over with. David was playing with a lot of things, but he was playing by his own rules. I don't think he had a pituitary tumor, because we learn from the book of Chronicles that there were a number of people in Gath who descended from giants. This was not an isolated case, which is what would happen if someone had a tumor. I don't know of a family of people having this pituitary tumor that secretes growth hormone. But genetically, there have been giants and descendants of giants through the scriptures and in history. That is not a, a strange thing. I want to read you some other passages with giants. First Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4 through 8. These are also Philistine giants, by the way. I'm reading from the ESV, First Chronicles 24. After this, there arose war with the Philistines at Gezer. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Sipai, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And the Philistines were subdued. And there was again war with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, struck down Lachmi, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath. And there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These were descended from the giants in Gath. 
and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. We're leapfrogging now essentially to the end of David's life. We're seeing after he kills a giant, guess what? Other people realize, oh, well, you can do that. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 22. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Wow. Five cubits. Goliath, we have reports of him being six cubits or four cubits. Either way, four and a half cubits or six cubits were in the range of what other stories in Scripture are talking about. Very large men, very powerful men. Also, it appears that they can be outmaneuvered, they can be outthought. One of the things you do notice when you read these passages is that God seems to be sadly absent when everyone else is killing their giants. At the end of 2 Samuel, we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. It starts out, now these are the last words of David. We're going to go from his sort of inaugural giant-killing episode. Now we're going to go all the way to the end and try to tie together who is this man. Now these are the last words of David. I'm in 2 Samuel 23. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So David has this, he's writing this last oracle. This is in, starting in chapter 23. And then it goes down to David's mighty men. These are the names of the mighty men. Joshua Bashebeth, a Tachumanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Verse 9 of 2 Samuel 23. And among them... Next to him were the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. 
Next to him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Hararite. The Philistine gathered together at Lehi, and there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. What David has done has inspired his men, the people around him. He's given them this idea that God is with them and that they can do great exploits. I want to take the rest of the time now. I want you to think about your life. The things that David does, I want to remind you, he, when he faces a problem, he looks at what, how God sees the problem. He's actually quoting scripture. God says, if there's an army coming against me, he's going to deliver me. And that I shouldn't have, my heart shouldn't fail. I shouldn't faint. He's coming with that scripture. He's also coming with the things that God has done for him in the past. I want you to do those two things now. I would like you to think, what has God done for you in the past? If I had a show of hands, I would imagine most of us have some giant in your life that you right now can't control. It's a little bit unwieldy. It seems to be taking control of your life. It's been irritating, but at this point, you can't get it to go away whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's relational. We all have them. And if you don't, wait a few months. Usually, it'll cycle. Every 18 months or so, they say something happens that you're just, you can't deal with yourself. So the bottom line, we've all got these. I want you to write down or think of what has God done for you in the past. Where is your lion? Where is your bear? What has he done for you? That you, you? This is not the first time you've been concerned or worried about something. It's happened before. And I want you to remind yourself that God came through for you in that situation. And then let's look at some scripture. I wonder if you could find a scripture that will take you, that you can start to quote, that will help you move through this situation. The scripture that I used with my computer issue this week was, God will never leave me or forsake me, Hebrews 13, 5, and Philippians 4, uh, 4, 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I needed help on the computer. God, you said that you would supply all my needs. I have not been able to do this, but with your help, I believe that I can. Let's spend some time. If you don't know a verse that applies, you may want to ask somebody or ask the Lord. Let's get some verses on our tongues. This is something David did. He didn't just think about the verses. He actually spoke them. Let no man's heart fail on account of this Philistine. Written on the boards, those Philippians 4, 13, 19 verses that I use to quote over my situations uh, when I've got situations I that are too big for me. What I'm learning is if I have God walking with me from the beginning, these things are often not so overwhelming. But as is typical of many of us, 
we will try doing it in our strength first, and then when we fail, then we then we go to God. And he's such a good father. He says, I'm just been waiting for you. Glad to help you. Need, need some help with that? Oh, yeah. Glad to help you. Such a good father. All right, I'm going to give you a minute of silence now just with yourself, and then I'm going to open it up for you to discuss it with the people around you and tell them your verses and about your about the things God has done for you. One minute of silence now. Father, we thank you for everyone who's come today. We ask a blessing on their weeks. And the testimonies would come out of this class. Lord, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.